0: You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again on the Poetry of Impact. Today we welcome Ani Patton Power. One of our previous guests on the show, Brent Kessel, introduced me to Ani. Ani considers herself a reformed investment banker and is the founder of Intelligent Impact she authored her first book in 2021, called Adventure Finance. Though Ani is known to go full force in all her endeavors, she comes to us with a pleasantly warm and calm demeanor. In this episode, Ani talks about how she ended up in South Africa, where she's lived for the last decade. She shares how being close to the communities she hopes to impact the most is one of her greatest motivators. Ani continuously asks herself, how she can help build what the impact sphere needs she elaborates on some of her pain points in the space and her desires to push new and radical ideas forward ani also leaves us with a reflection on her new role as a mother and how she gets up every day trying to make the world a better place so drop in and enjoy this episode with ani patent power hi welcome ani
1: thank you so much for having me
0: for sure. And where are you calling in from today?
1: Cape Town, South Africa.
0: All right. Well, so you're my first uh, person to ever call in from South Africa uh, yeah, in terms of the podcast. Honor. Yeah. Poetry of <laughs> Impact. And also, um, you're not just calling in from there, but you're living in Cape Town. Yes. And so so can you give us a little flavor on what um, led you to um, to live in Cape Town?
1: sure it was via 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 I mean I anyone that's been knows it's a beautiful beautiful place but um, I I've I've lived um, a pretty decent number of places in the world and you know traveling is one thing living is another and so I was I was living in India um, in um, kind of the late um, 2000s and knew that I wasn't necessarily going to stay in India long term uh, but I really wanted to find someplace else that I really felt that the work I was doing um, was meaningful and I could kind of see that in the day to day. So I think that, you know, working in impact finance, you can sometimes feel removed from the problems. Um, and so I I wanted to live someplace that, you know, I, I saw And experienced the reasons um, that I was in this space. And so I looked at other emerging markets that I thought were interesting. um, Tried out a few others. I've lived in Ghana for a little bit. um, And um, visited Cape Town, actually, while I was um, in the UK. And it's just, it's a really, it's a nice place to live. But it's also a place that you are starkly reminded every single day why inequality is something that has been created and needs to be eradicated. And... um, you know, also why we need to protect the the beautiful natural world as well. So, in those ways, it's 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 a great motivator. It's a beautiful place to live. Wonderful people, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really happy here. I, I have to say, it's a long ways from a lot of places, but I'm really happy here, and um, have you know, built a life in the past ten years.
0: Yeah, and so why do you think? And what is it um, about you? that draws you to want to be closer to the scene of the impact because you can actually do it from a distance very well, like most people. And you can actually live, live this sort of dichotomous life. To some extent, you can have this identity of being an impact investor and yet never really visit this, you know, the scene of the impact. So take us through, um, what about you in particular wants to be reminded of this on a daily basis and. What's it like to actually be sort of close to the very experiences that I mean, you're trying to help out?
1: Hmm, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think that I think that I'm definitely someone that does that doesn't th- do things um, by half measures. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a joke, I would say, amongst friends, families, and my my students and, and colleagues uh so if i'm going to do something i'm going to do it you know 115% and i do think potentially that's a piece of it um i you know was very privileged to grow up in in the united states um and you know do you know just have the type of of, of lifestyle that um didn't really have a lot of the stresses and, and and worries that i think that most people in the world have and um when I found impact, when I was an investment banker, you know, in my, in my twenties, I, it was pretty compelling for me to be able to try and use some of the advantages that I've had and the skills that I had gained to, to, to really do something. Um, and I think that I don't know that I've, I had, I don't know that I thought about why I need to be as close, um, to the issues, but for me, it just has always seemed like what I was going to do. So, um, I want to be able to have as much impact as possible and gear myself for that. And I don't think it's necessary to to necessarily live in, in an emerging market or in a gentrifying neighborhood or whatever you want to say um, to be able to create impact. But um, for me that was, you know, something that I, I thought I wanted to do and something I have done for the past twelve years.
0: So did I just hear you say that you were um, originally trained in one dimensional finance like myself? Is is that correct?
1: That is correct in my bio. I, the, the line that always gets the most attention when I do speaking events is that I say I'm a reformed investment banker.
0: And so at what point did that, at what point did you realize like uh, you were lost?
1: It's actually, that's quite a cool story, actually. So um, my, my two best friends from high school um, given me this book that was signed by Muhammad Yunus. Uh, it's called A World Without Poverty. Uh, it's one of, is his third book. And I, was, I had, like, brought it with me to work. Of course, you know, I was working 100 and something hours a week. This was mid-2000s. It was just, you know, when everything was going bonkers. And, you know, I was sitting in this little, like, green park in Chicago. Um, and I brought this book with me. And it was a really nice day, you know, in Chicago, which is amazing because you can sit outside and it's warm. And I was reading this book. And it really was just this light switch, like, bulb that, like, just went on, the switch that just switched and I couldn't believe that you could use the skills that I love. I I love finance. I, I, I love, I mean, I'm a I'm a modeling geek, I'm a structuring geek, I love the technicalities of it. But I was not happy with what I was doing. Um, I was just not creating any sort of positive impact. I didn't even know it was possible to to do that. And so for me, that was the moment that just everything changed. And, you know, it's quite funny. You know, I got actually the chance a few years later to introduce Muhammad Yunus um, at at an event um, that we had. And and so I got to tell the story. Um, and, um, and then, you know, in the dinner afterwards, you know, we, we got to have this really lovely, long, meaningful conversation. And so, and that was, you know, really full circle for me of, you know, having this, this moment. And I think for me, it's really been, um, I'm not sure we'll talk about it, but I, I published my first book this year and getting to hear people talk about, you know, reading my book and having that light bulb moment. It's just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm so like grateful that I was in that place at that moment. And I was able to make the decision relatively early in my career um, to you know, spend what I wanted to do in impact. And that wasn't easy. I'm sure I'll talk about that. But I mean, in 2008, to say that you wanted to go into impact investing when it wasn't really even a term was a very difficult challenge. But um, that moment was really the moment that I knew that um, that was what I wanted to do.
0: And why do you think people laugh at when you label yourself as a reformed M&A financier? Curious. I mean, I, I have my idea, but I'm curious about what you think it might be.
1: I think it's just, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, I think for a long, I mean, for at least at that point in time, investment banker was such a positive thing, you know, it was such a, like yeah. that was what people aspired to be. And so I think it, I think people find it quite funny that I it's something that I have been reformed of. Um, i e you know I've become something different from that. And I think that's you know, at most of my speaking events and um, conferences and workshops that I do are in the finance committee. And so I think people find that quite funny that um, I, I've moved beyond the investment banker uh, label.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's good. I mean, that's really good. But I mean, you know, probably there's some very good training. I, I see, I mean, obviously there's good training on on the technical parts. They're, um, you know, they're really dialed in on really uh, what I would refer to as sort of, uh, you know, the grammar of finance and um, doing all the diligence and so forth. And just processes in terms of how capital moves throughout the world. Um, You know, I mean, it's very informative in that extent. I'm guessing, though, why people laugh is because subconsciously most people realize that nobody comes out of the womb saying that they want to do that right i mean so so i mean we all sort of like laugh because we intuitively may not recognize it on a secular sense because it's considered a very positive and you can make a lot of money doing it recognize but i think there's a larger life force and collective wisdom that intuitively knows when stuff is okay yeah right i mean we sort of know what it is yeah uh And so I think that's part of where sort of the comedy comes out is you kind of sort of poked, you sort of kind of poked at yourself a little bit. Yeah. Um, And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I do want to sort of get back to this idea of, it seemed to me that if you left Minnesota and you've been traveling for um, this extensive period of time and you've been living this particular um, for now in South Africa for a significant period of time, that there's a little bit of a seeker in you, um, that, uh, so like what was happening in Minnesota that, uh, you know, where life is comfortable, where you all of a sudden started having sort of this seeking bug. I mean, no one goes to India for the sake of going to India. I mean, usually you go to India because there's something going on, something moving in you, some, some either itch or appetite that's not being sort of satiated.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, it really goes back to that Muhammad Nudist moment. I, I knew at that moment that I needed to do something else. And that was, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was an investment banker. I was, you know, this was right before the crash. Um, and so the, the, the crash happened. Um, and then um, I, I was interviewing for what you do, right. As a, as a third year investment banker, you go and you do interviews for your private equity role and I got my private equity role and they called me and they congratulated me and this this lovely woman at the firm laid out my next 10 years for me. And she told me that, you know, I was going to come there. I was going to do, you know, this role for a few years. And I was going to go to business school. And the head of the firm is on the board of governors at the University of Chicago. So I'd get into business school. I'd graduate from business school. They'd seed me in my own fund. And I would be a GP in my own fund. Um, and, and it had the very opposite effect, I think, that she thought it was going to have on me. I, I, I listened to her say that. And I hung up the phone. And I was like... I don't want to know what the, rest, the next ten years of my life is going to be. So I promptly went in, quit my job, said no to the job offer, sold all of my things, and took a one-way um, flight to um, to Asia to travel for fourteen months. Because I was wow. just there was just I was like this is I, this is the exact opposite. I realized of what I wanted, and so um, it was it was really interesting. My my colleagues all thought I was absolutely crazy. Um, and, uh, my parents were super supportive, but I just, I knew that like, I wanted, as I said, I want to do things by full measure. So I knew that I did not want that uniformity. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted, I wanted some adventure and, and that's, that's kind of what I did.
0: Yeah, you got it for sure. Now, I mean, what did you sort of discover on that um, path that really sort of set you up for being an impact finance in particular and now and how's it really informing you on how you go about your everyday uh, work today?
1: So I went to go visit a, a friend. So while I was doing my fourteen months of travel, I ended up actually spending about six months of it in India, um, and um, was really exposed to the microfinance space in India and started to do some searching around impact financing. I didn't have a lot of the language yet. Um, you know, again, this was two thousand nine. Now, still super early. Um, you know, there wasn't a, there weren't a lot of roles in the space. I got connected to someone who then connected me to someone else, and ended up. Um, is speaking with uh, one of the founders of Uninus Capital, um, and really all of a sudden, this which is an investment bank in um, India, one of the first to do essentially as a social investment bank, so placing money for social enterprises at the time, just MFIs, and so they had this language of you know, and it was oh I. I just there's these people and they're doing this work and it's very similar to the work that I did, except it's, you know, so positive. And so it, for me, it was just this massive eye-opening experience. So I ended up then moving to India to work with United's Capital. Um, as I got there, the microfinance uh, market crashed in India. And so it ended up being really fortuitous because I had this experience raising capital um, that was not debt capital. And at the firm, they had specialized in debt capital for microfinance. And so I was able... To, to help as the team expanded to be doing equity raises, um, because that was the background that I had and um, training around some of the um, technical modeling and things that needed in that case. So that was really how, you know, I, for me getting started, um, you know, this exposure that I had in these 14 months in this, you know, this adventure, but also, you know, really, for me, it was, there's these massive opportunities and i want to be a part of this and um so that grounding for that time that i spent at Unis, which i'm you know still super grateful for and still you know very much connected to the unanimous family and have been um, since then um, in fact one of the first deals i worked on was this tiny little fund that wanted to, to do impact investing but was just getting going I'm named leapfrog
0: hmm. <laughs> leapfrog
1: leapfrog the leapfrog that was we did some of their first deals uh help find them um for andrew and them so it's uh, so the, it's which is fun right so when you i mean i feel very grateful that in some ways i've gotten to grow up with the space um, yeah. You know, I was I was a very young, you know, twenty something, um, with a little bit of knowledge about investment banking, and you know, got to kind of walk into um, the space that was still fine, very much finding itself, um, and and grow along with it. And I think for me, the guiding force with all of that, you know india and then you're know, going to the uk um, and at the university of oxford and then in ghana where i worked for a bit then here in south africa i've just continued to ask myself what does the space need and like what do i have what skills do i have that i can help um, with that and that's really been my guiding um force is just you know how do i help build what the space needs um and it's, it's pushed me in a lot of different directions but it's been a really nice force
0: and how is that uh ani i mean how are you how are you building what the space needs? It sounds like you're wearing some different hats, but I'm guessing that there's a lot of synchronicity amongst the different hats.
1: Yeah, so I wear, I wear a lot of hats. Sometimes I forget. I have too many hats that I don't know what to wear. I have <laughs> always focused, though, very pretty specifically, and it's um, it's been quite fun, around innovative financial structuring. So since the very beginning, and I think, you know, in India, there was this group of, um, you know, really interesting people. Some people you may know, like Ross Baird, for instance, floating around at the time and others that have been on, on your podcast that, you know, we were space was just kind of coming together and we were talking about it. And I think for me, one of the things, the questions I kept asking um, was, are we using the right structures? Is is private equity, adventure capital, and kind of the traditional um, debt structures? Are they the right structures to use to be able to allocate this capital? And you know, at the time, it was it was it was really interesting because people were like the questions we were asking was like can can we even make money, right? And and so I think sometimes. Uh, I was even asking harder questions than we needed to be Is you know, people were like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be, you know, rethinking the whole model. We don't even know if this works, but um, I think I've pretty consistently been asking those. And then, so what I, what I've tried to do um, for the past now, 13 years is to try and figure out what are the right structures um, what actually, what are the right vehicles and how do, how we invest Um, affect what we invest in. So I have very much focused on that, how we allocate capital um, alongside the what we allocate capital to, but the how we allocate capital. So, you know, now what I do is I, um, I'm an author. I I wrote a book on this called Adventure Finance. Um, I'm an academic. Um, I I teach, I lecture um, at uh, the University of Oxford, London School of Economics, amongst others. Um, I am an angel investor here in South Africa. Um, and then I'm an advisor, so I work with high net worth family offices, um, development finance institutions, really any funder that is interested in um, how do they allocate capital, um, and um, have been designing you know, structures and um, consulting on, on strategies um, since then. So for me, it's it's really interesting. Now we have. Been calling it innovative financing for for a lot of years now. It's actually it's a thing. um At the beginning, one more story. <laughs> Stop with this one. But we were at this. I was working on here in Cape Town. And, um I started um, when I was here in Cape Town um something called the Bertha Center for um, Social Innovation, and I created what was called the Innovative Financing Initiative. And the marketing person came to me, and she was like, "We use innovative too many times. So you're going to need to think of another adjective." um for your financing initiative and i was like no it's innovative financing." She's like i googled it it's not a thing so you're gonna need to come up with something else and i like held firm that it was gonna be innovative financing um and so as and so i'm glad i did
0: <laughs> yeah so i mean take us through the little bit of the weeds on that um it take us through a little bit of the weeds on how um when you ask yourself are we using the right structures That's interesting to me because a lot of people probably have their boxes and if it doesn't, if the deal doesn't fit the boxes, the capital doesn't move. And so maybe take us through an example of where something traditionally would have not proceeded forward, but when all of a sudden, you know, you touched the project and you got in there and started moving the pieces around and started talking to people. I mean, how did it look different as a result?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know, because of the, my experience, I've, I worked a lot with early stage investing. Um, I've also done, you know, large, um, large vehicles as well, but you know, f- for instance, most social entrepreneurs don't fit the venture capital mindset, which is, you know, grow exponentially, um, sell um, when you can, um, and, um, and that's, you know, that's the life cycle, build, you know, grow, sell. Um, and, and that's because a lot of social entrepreneurs um, and impact enterprises are addressing issues that do need scale, um, but certainly not scale at all costs. Um, and in some cases, our markets um, and are operating within markets, that there is very likely not to be a, um, an exit opportunity like an IPO. So you're talking yeah. emerging markets. So there's just there's a lot of characteristics that, and and a lot of entrepreneurs that are doing this for you know, reasons that go far beyond wanting to flip a company in four or five years. So I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years, and this was you know even just the, the theoretical at the beginning was asking the question: So there's something other than VC? Is there something other than private equity mentality? And so uh, I realized that we needed to be doing something that wasn't theoretical. And so you know working with funders that were already doing some of this work and the ones that wanted to, to to really test out structures that didn't look like VC. So for instance, um, something that I've, I've done a bit with and I'm working quite a lot on now, it's in my book, is something called Redeemable Equity which allows a founder to repurchase the equity at either a predetermined um, amount or a mutually agreed upon amount um, in the future. And what it allows entrepreneurs to do is to take on early stage equity funding, which they need. Um, but to be able to create a pathway for them to exit that doesn't involve them selling or listing or having to grow at an exponential rate. Um, And it's something, it sounds quite simple, but it's actually very complex. It's, you know, there's regulatory issues, there's tax issues, you know, there's lots of different implications. But what I found over the past few years working with myself and then with other funders is that it really meets a very specific need and it allows funding to flow to an entrepreneur that otherwise would not be able to access impact capital. And it's and, and I think that's incredibly important. And I think if you look at who gets VC funding and who allocates VC funding, we can pretty much agree that the demographic is, is, is not representative of how we want this capital system to work. Um, so part of it is, yes, we need to hire more women, more people of color into the space, but part of it, maybe we need to look at the instrument maybe the instrument itself is precluding people from being involved. Um, And so I think that for me, so there's instruments, there's processes, you know, there's inherent biases. And so we need to address all of them. Um, And I do see, so for instance, Village Capital, who we work with quite a bit, you know, they've been using different processes um, around decision-making, peer-based decision-making and different instruments like uh, redeemable equity um, and, and others that are similar. And they're, Cohorts are much more diverse than average mm. VC cohorts, and they've done a whole randomized control trial on it. They've done, I mean, there is significant results that show that if we change the process and change the actual investment structure, in addition to just who makes the decisions, um, we can have significant impact. And that's just on who's running the companies, and that has you know ripple effects with the actual impact um, at the ground.
0: I'm not quite sure I understand uh, conceptually I understand it but mechanically how would that work in terms of the redeemable equity in part because I'm just curious on like how does the entrepreneur actually get the capital to buy out the uh, because some of those positions probably could be quite large?
1: Yeah, so it's a very good question um, so it's there's a few there's three different ways so one is internally so um, we're talking about companies again the Silicon Valley mo- mindset is um, you don't make you know, you're you're essentially burning cash until you IPO and then, you know, maybe you're profitable. Also turning that a little bit on, on its head, you know, a lot of these companies that impact entrepreneurs and others are, are starting um, are actually focusing on revenue and being profitable as opposed to just, you know, being as you know, the most users in, in the whole in the whole world taking over something, being the next Uber. Um, so so there are so some companies are able to do this from a dividend perspective um, over time with a grace period, you know, over a few years, and they're able to, with dividends, internal cash flow, be able to buy out. Um, and we're not talking about large positions here, particularly for this structure. There's other structures that can be much larger positions, but for this structure, we're talking about generally initial um capital. Um, that was put in at the seed stage um, or even you know, maybe part of a Series A. Um, then the other way is that they borrow money. So essentially this becomes like a bridge. So when you're super early, very risky, you know, the only people that will lend you money are, are people that are also crazy like you. Five years down the line, you've built customers, you've built a platform, suddenly financial institutions are willing to loan to you. So you can actually take a loan out to buy out this relatively inexpensive equity. And then thirdly, you find investors that are wanting to invest, um, that are willing to then buy out um, at this price point, which, you know, will be, you know, cheap in essence, um, the, for, um, for these investors. And so that's essentially how it
0: works. I see. And where are you finding out of these different hats you wear? And whether it's the Academy advising family offices and funders, uh, advising entrepreneurs and, and also you as an angel investor, I mean, where like, where's sort of the uh, pain point at the moment for you in terms of like, that's kind of keeping you up besides your f- five month year old baby keeping you up uh congratulations uh by the way when uh you know those working moments where all of a sudden it's like gosh I just can't figure out this puzzle here it's like i'm stuck and um i mean where is that moment today for you in terms of like where where and what are you really chewing on it's like oh if i can just sort of crack this then all of a sudden i can make an exponential kind of leap or quantum leap in in the kind of work i'm doing
1: You know, it's such a good question. I'm actually, I'm feeling that right now. I'm feeling. um, So, you know, the I have started. I've started work on my second book, which is called Carried Impact. It's on fund structures. Mm -hmm. So the first one was on deal structures. Second one's on fund structures, and the third one, which is down, you know, in in a couple of years, is going to be on market structures, thinking tokenization, new ways in which we um, use markets to be able to drive impact. So. I think where I'm feeling right now with the, you know, because I've been in the deal structure with the last two years writing this book and, you know, the, the work really around it. Um, there's, there's some pretty easy ways that we can unlock a lot of funding for SMEs, not just impact SMEs, but SMEs in general. Um, and some of, it's, some of it's just education and awareness understanding that there are options for financing outside of traditional venture capital and that's you know what my whole book is on and there's you know readingable well equity is one of 17 chapters right so there's a ton of different things that we can do. Um so Part of me just like wants the whole world to know that, and all these funders that are sitting there with capital, they're struggling. You know, the biggest thing, right? I mean, I work with you know funders day in and day out, right? If you ask a bunch of impact funders, what's holding them back? And you know, the gen does every year, and and you know, they say there's there's not enough deals, um, but that's precisely because often they're holding capital that it has these restrictions that that restrict it to a very small number of companies, and so. There's, and I think that, you know, maybe I'm going to be a broken record on this, but, you know, if we limit impact investing to traditional historic ways of thinking about risk and thinking about structuring, then we're just going to replicate, um, you know, what's happened in traditional finance. And so there's a piece of me that's, that's really excited about all this capital that's flowing into impact, Um, But there's also a piece of me that's like, just kind of like wants to continue to just like shake the establishment and be like, like, let's really let's do this differently. Like there's so much money sitting, you know, in in foundations in, you know, even in in big institutions. I think family offices have been great movers on this. Um, But like things something like here, let me give you an example, something like trade finance. Trade finance is the oldest type of financing in the world. It was used by the merchants, you know, like thousands of years ago. They would go out and they would pre-sell their wares um, and they would go to Egypt. They would go to India. They would go to wherever and they would, you know, buy a bunch of things, come back, and then they would essentially pay out those that had sold them. It's the oldest form of finance that we know of. It is so underutilized in impact investing. Trade uh, finances invoice factoring and supply chain financing those are not super sexy but if we they are so set up they're so easy to to use and used well with affordable capital, we could unlock working capital for SMEs, Globally, and a lot of times owned by by minorities and women and people that are not able to access the type of working capital that they need, and so like that one for me is just like it feels like like it's all put together. It just literally people. It's it's not sexy, like it, it's just not as sexy as the VC. And so I do think for me sometimes that, and this is a good thing, is that now I I see. There's examples and there are processes in place that it is actually about just getting the capital flowing. Whereas five or six years ago, we needed to test some of the stuff out, whether it's redeemable equity or trade finance or you know, things like venture debt, etc. Um, community ownership. I think community ownership. Huge, like, why aren't why isn't impact investing talking more about more people owning more assets? And I think you know that's something for me as a direction of travel. We've moved from, you know, of the pyramid from consumers to producers. Let's talk about wealth accumulation um, and who owns assets. So, so there's a lot of different pieces, you know, that I'm, I'm feeling like we're on the cusp of. And, and, I, and I really hope that we move in the right direction and really start to see um, some momentum.
0: So how do you stay... Uh... Like, um, I mean, you seem like a very optimistic person um, uh, and at the same level, also very pragmatic. I mean, how do you stay centered, sort of knowing that this is a long game?
1: I think it's a very good question. And I would say I'm feeling I would say almost more optimistic these days, although I try not to think about the existential you know, climate crisis. As often, it was just because sometimes that makes me, just, you know, want to throw all my toys and run out of the room. Um, but, you know, I, I think part of it is perspective. I have, because I've been in the space, you know, since you know, I remember being really excited about the first JP Morgan report that said there were $7 billion in impact investing. And that was really exciting. Um, and I had slides that I used to teach that were like, maybe by 2020, we'll have a trillion dollars. And we do basically have a trillion dollars in this 2020. So I do think some of that perspective is nice. I also think I, I I maybe can hear it in my voice, there is some frustration that I have that we've gotten this point, and we haven't changed enough. Um, I think you know, one of my pieces in Impact Alpha, you know, I've said like, we didn't come here to play at the margins. We came here to revolutionize finance. Like that's what we say we're doing in Impact. It doesn't feel like we're doing that. Um, But I think for me, it's just, I get to, as you said, you get to engage with amazing people in Impact. And so I get energy from all these people around me that are doing this work and friends that I've known for the entire time, you know, I've been in this space that are equally committed to it, and then my students, you know, I, I just I think it's it's people and um, it is a long game. Now having a, a, a tiny baby that'll be, you know, in who knows what's going to happen in twenty or thirty or forty years. Um, but I really hope I will grow and I really hope that I'm, you know, raising an eco warrior and a feminist that's going you know, <laughs>
0: to take
1: take the fight, take the good fight forward. Yeah. Sometimes I like you know that my students like I've been so used to, I think, in the past 10 years going into boardrooms and being patted on the head and being kind of like having to really swing for the fences to prove to these finance people that you know impact is serious. I like sometimes now I'm in rooms where I'm not revolutionary enough. Like my students are like that's not enough. Like you're not that's that you know like pushing me on that and that feels good. Like sometimes I like have to like I get like a little like oh but like knowing that like that's what the direction and travel of travel that it's like not enough systems change like I feel like I'm you know on the margins and it's not enough that that actually gets me excited that um that hopefully you know I'll be you know, some you know old professor that's like you know been talking about how things were back in my day, and people are going to think that you know I'm an old fogy at some point. That's fine. I'm happy with that.
0: So, are you suggesting that um, students these days in their twenties are seeing impact as second nature? It's it's normalized now. It's it's not a question of if; it's more a question of what and and the how of what impact looks like and how far to take it, the scope of it, how deep and the details and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's second nature to them. Like, I mean, they don't want to do anything related to one dimensional finance. I do think I mean, exclusively, I mean, exclusively, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Your students probably because you're probably framed as a, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So, I mean, maybe my question probably needs a little uh, context, but
1: no, 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 I do think, I do think, you're you're right in the sense that they take it as a given. I think what I'm seeing my students, and again, it is a self-selection of you know students that you know go to Oxford, go to LSE, that like come to my class. Um, but they they're really asking bigger questions. I think, and it pushed me to ask bigger questions about the system. So it's not just you know does venture capital work? They're asking about you know capitalism, um, yeah. and and, you know, it's not just, you know, should private equity fund managers own a company? It's, you know, should there be private ownership? So I, so I do think that that type of questioning is, you know, is really right. And, and it goes to this fundamental. So so the fundamental idea that we're trying to make the world a better place. And so for them, this, you know, whether it's the you need know, of regulation or individuals to like push companies to do this, um, I think they take they take that as a given and they take what i love and I, and i think this is nice kind of in the space in general we've, we've really taken away this bias of to do the inability to do well and do good and i'm quite happy to see that kind of you know just like leave that the implicit returns bias i don't see that as much anymore people that tell me oh well, if you're doing impact investing you're making less money that, that that doesn't seem to be but i like that they're asking but why are you making so much money Like, why are impact investors? What's being left on the table? You know, what deals aren't being done? So I like that. I like that it's not, you know, let's prove that we can be as good as finance as everyone else. They're saying, what, like, these rules of this game suck. Like, why are we still playing by these rules? And I think that that's right. Like we, I think we're so conditioned to kind of tinker. And and I think really a lot of them are just very disillusioned with the whole system that has created well, where we are today.
0: Um, so where does that inertia come from, you think, in terms of to tinker versus to, um, you know, really evolve exponentially? I mean, can you do, is it an either or scenario? Or do the tinkers set up the exponential leaps? I'm just very curious on how that you know that whole sequence of events.
1: I think it's I think it's totally true. I think that we we thought we were being you know revolutionary impact investors. The whole idea of you know putting capital to work for impact was at one point revolutionary. It was it was it was a crazy idea, and then that crazy idea became a you know kind of common idea. And so I think I think it's you know you you have to keep pushing um so you know for me i just i try and keep pushing to, to you know crazier more impactful ideas i think you know a few years ago uh, so i i done a lot of work on impact incentives things like impact carry um, impact linked loans essentially taking impact and putting it into term sheets, contracts and structures and and having it be integrated into there. Um, And that's something that I've specialized in. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of people over the years just say, that's too complex, it's too complicated. And it's not part, it shouldn't be part of the conversation. And I think that, you know, in some ways, sometimes, yeah, but I, I think I'm getting less pushback these days when and more people saying, all right, like, tell me about how other people have done that. So the fact that impact carry, in impact investing was not a thing until a couple of years ago. It is astounding to me still. You know, I've been talking about this for so many years. Like, why aren't impact managers being motivated by impact and financial returns when they're getting, you know, they're saying to their LPs, "This is what they're doing." So, and why aren't we, you know, why why aren't there default provisions that relate to the impact if there are for the financials? Um, and so, you know, I think I'm feeling more emboldened. Emboldened is that a word? Maybe it is. <laughs> um, to you know, to push the limits, partially because you know there's you'd be, some of the things that used to be radical are not commonplace, and I hope that's how we keep evolving. Um, and it does take you know, the I, I say jokingly that I've hit my head against the wall so many times, either I have a concussion or I'll get through the wall. Um, and it does feel like a little bit of both sometimes. Like it's hard to do things that no one's ever done. But once you've done them, it seems inevitable. So I think that's kind of where we're starting to get to. You know, the the first hundred million dollar fund, you know, an impact seemed a really big deal. Now it's like, you know, oh, how many how many of them do we have? There's billion dollar funds. Like it's just, it, it was hard though. It's still hard to raise a ten million dollar fund for some people. Um, so I think there's you know there's a long ways to go. We've got a long ways to go in impact investing. Um, but we actually have come a long ways. Um, so I'm just hopeful that we'll keep the momentum will grow. And I, and I don't want it to just be capital. I, I really, I really, really fundamentally believe, um, and this is what my whole career has been around, is that we need to think about how we are allocating and what type of incentives we're putting in our capital. Um, because otherwise we are going to replicate the financial system and we don't want that.
0: So I love this idea that you started with a book on deals and work in structure of deals and the structure of funds, a uh, little bit what you're talking about right now, the impact carry and, and some of the new terminology. I uh, love that idea. And it seems like you have another uh, book uh, in the works of potentially on markets as well. And so that seems like a very natural evolution. And I heard you talk about tokenization and community ownership and all that stuff. I mean, what's the inspiration there for you?
1: Yeah, so a few years ago, I um I kind of took a a, a little bit of a, a kind of a break um, from some of the other work I was doing, and really threw myself into the world of exponential technologies because I, I knew that we need I I, I knew there were some problems that I wasn't going to be able to solve purely through financial structuring, and so I really wanted to understand how technology was going to be useful and how we allocate capital, how we design funds, um and um really um, you know how we build markets, and so for me, you know, being I you have know, kind of went headlong into the, you know, blockchain, AI, remote sensing, kind of those, those types of technologies. And so I learned a lot, did quite a bit of work um, and still do um, some in the blockchain space. And I really believe that the idea of distributed ledger, web 3.0, whatever you want to call it, um, is going to usher in new ways in which we own assets, we, we move assets, um, and um, I think they're on the Collective ownership of data, impact measurement is going to be very affected um, by um, by all of the exponential technologies, and so there's um, there's probably a whole book on that that I could write. Um, ha- have written a few big papers on it, um, but I think it's going to be really exciting to be able to use these te- harness these technologies to be able to better collect impact data, um, better allocate funds, allow more communities and a larger pools of, ca- of people to own um, assets, um, and could talk about that for.
0: You know, hours and hours. Yeah. It, it, so I, I want to, I want to ask you, um, my conclu- uh, concluding comment or question is, is that, um, how has your frame of reference or the work that you do in the world, uh, been influenced now from, um, as a result of being a mother, uh, and mm. a young mother and seeing I like this, that you say I'm a uh, young
1: mother Gina I'm actually yeah, an old yeah, mother you know you know I had a geriatric yeah. pregnancy which is what they say if you're over 35 <laughs> and you have a baby is that what it is okay
0: <laughs> well we also had a geriatric pregnancy in our household then uh, well I would say a young parent then uh, and or yeah you're at the beginning stages of parenting and it's had a huge influence on me and for instance At so many levels, I um, realized that, especially like when the smoke in the West comes every summer and the fires start burning out West. And there was, uh, you know, I'm a pretty wild creature. Like, I need to be outside for the bulk of my day. And it's like I can only do so much stuff in an office in front of a computer screen, but I like being outdoors. And obviously, a kid does too. Like, kids love being outside. And parents love their kids being outside as well. It's always, it's a good thing. And when none of us could go outside because the uh, air quality was just off the charts and it was apocalyptic darkness around us of smoke, it dawned on me. It's like, what, like, what is all this worth if like, we can't even go outside? Um, it's like, I am not a, a person that's interested in living i'm not i'm interested in the universe not the metaverse um i'm interested in the tangible sensual world uh the visceral world the analog world i want to walk barefoot i don't want to have my shoes on and, and uh, in the behind a computer screen it's like so there's and i realized like wow i, I gotta do you know i have to sort of i guess i got this point I want to I want to be able to respond to Nathan in 20 years when he sort of develops the faculties and maybe maybe you might know by a teenager and he says like were you aware of this and then like what were you doing during that time and I want to just at least be able to say hey look um I did my best and here's what I think happened as a result obviously there probably was always more I could have done but it felt like it wasn't fair to just sit on the sidelines and think that life sort of comfortable as it is the moment is is the right way to move forward um or that we should just sort of stay there so i'm just curious on on how your life has been shaped as a result of um becoming a mother and sort of ushering in new new young life
1: it's it's an interesting question i don't know that i've reflected on it at all i I don't know that i've had enough sleep to reflect on it at all (laughs) in the past
0: five months of course yeah
1: um yeah you know i mean i think I was very shaped by um, some travel I did in, in college um, and getting to see r- real poverty for the first time um, and just the the real unfairness of it. Um, and so I think as much as, you know, for my... For my daughter that, you know, I, I want the world to be from a gender perspective, I want her to be able to, you know, not go through things that I've gone through for from a climate change perspective, you know, I want her to still be in a beautiful world. I do think that here to date, I've been inspired by you know, the, the vast amounts of time that I've spent in and around the unfairness of inequality. Um, And that manifests itself within, you know, climate as well as within living conditions. Um, And I I just still, for me, fundamentally, it's just the fact that we can live in a world with such disparity, um, it's just really difficult. Um, And so I think that um, I want my daughter to be you know, obviously, she'll be exposed to it. She's, you know, gray up as a as a South African. Um, but um, yeah, I I really hope that when she asks me that question, um, and I hope it's early. We always joke that her first word will be impact because sometimes she sits on my Zoom calls and she's, you know, in the womb. She was, you know, I was teaching all my classes. But you know, I I I want to make sure that she realizes that you know I was getting up every day trying to, trying to change this, And as you said, there's stuff that, you know, there's more that we could have done. Um, but, um, but I hope there is some change I can point her to. That's what I hope. I hope there's something that I can say, you know, this is different because of something that I did. Um, and who knows, maybe we will.
0: Hmm. Well, my guess, as much as I'd love for her first word to be impact, I'm guessing it also might be the word no. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a big possibility.
0: <laughs> I would say evolutionarily speaking, the odds are probably more inclined to be no than impact. Oh but God. I hold out hope and please keep me updated on how that goes. Um, it didn't go okay. that way in my household. <laughs> but uh,
1: I, will, I am open.
0: to <laughs> Um, Ani, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Where can people uh, learn more about you and the work you're doing in the world?
1: Absolutely. So um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Ani, A-U-N-N-I-E, so early adopter, um, full first name. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place um, to connect with me as well, Ani Patent Power. Um, and then, if you want to know more about uh, the book, uh, adventure.finance is the um, is the page for that. And you can find adventure finance on Amazon or at your local retailer, which is, I would prefer for you to do. Um, and if you're wanting to find your local retailer, actually, adventure.finance, I've got something on there that'll help you in both the UK and the US. And then elsewhere in the world, you may have to use uh, Big Bag Amazon. Um, but um, I'm I'm very active, um, on, um, social media and, um, you know, publishing on Impact Alpha and other mediums. So, um, I encourage you to, um, to connect with me, read the book. Um, it's a lot of heart and soul in the book and, um, hopefully enjoyable.
0: Thank you so much, Ani. It's great having you.
1: Lovely to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the Poetry of Impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again and goodbye for now. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.